0: Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. Today, we have Michael Episcope here with us. Michael, welcome to the show. How's it going?
2: Good. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Well, before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Michael. Michael is the principal of Origin Investments, co-chairs the investment committee, and oversees investor relations, marketing, and company operations. He brings 25 years of investment and risk management experience to the company and believes that calculated risk taking in inefficient markets is the key to building wealth. Michael is a regular contributor to Forbes, Entrepreneur, and HuffPost. and is a frequent speaker on real estate investment panels and podcasts. So great stuff. It sure is a privilege to have you with us today. So let's jump right into it. And Michael, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do?
2: Yeah, I suppose I can take you kind of far back, but this is my my second career, and um, my first career was in commodities trading. That's where I, I built the bulk of my wealth. And, and my partner David Shear and I got together in 2007 and formed Origin. And I won't use the origin of Origin because that would be right. But the uh, the the original idea was that we were pooling our money together to create a real estate investment firm because we were. High net worth individuals leaving a career. We wanted our money to work for us. We wanted to get all the benefits of private real estate, and so we started Income for that reason. And really, anytime somebody starts a company, it's because they believe they can do it better, right? That they're solving some problem out there, and we did as well because we just didn't, you know, see for individuals like ourselves that the options were great. You know, this goes back to two thousand seven, eight, very different. I don't even think podcasts. Or many of them were around back then, and that was sort of you know the seed that we planted at the time. But it was a company around investing our own capital, and so we always say today, even you know that has really formed a lot of what we do, our investment strategy, every product that we build as well. We build products that we want to invest in. That's why we're fund investors. We don't generally do syndications unless they're alongside of the fund. But yeah, fourteen years ago, it's been a long ride. Today we have thirty team members at the firm. We have about 9,000 multifamily units under our control in various stages. Some of them are stabilized, some of them are under development, some of them are under contract right now, but we're purely multifamily. And that's been a change over the last several years. We used to also do some office, some retail, some industrial on that side, but today we're specializing in the multifamily side. We serve 1,600, actually more than that, about 1,650 investment partners that span everywhere from accredited investors to family offices to registered investment advisors. Uh, we don't typically work with the broker-dealer channel because we don't pay commissions or pay people to sell our product. But the registered investment advisor segment is one of our very fastest growing segments. So that's pretty exciting to us. That's sort of what we call our institutional arm, but it's been great. It's been fantastic. And it's certainly been a great 10 years, I would say 12 years, 13 years for real estate. And I always kind of lose track of time, how long I've been in this. And I should say like, you know, in the beginning, when I actually transitioned careers, I did it in a way that when I was going into my first career, I was studying economics and finance and then went into commodities trading. And then when I transitioned here, I decided to go back to school, get a master's in real estate. And that was sort of, you know, helped me with the transition and sort of closing the door on my last career and moving into this full time. So it's not as if I just, you know, jumped in and started buying properties, but that helped me not only gain the knowledge, but also the network as well.
3: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that background. So today we're going to talk about Opportunity Zone. So first off, can you tell the listeners what an Opportunity Zone is?
2: Yeah. So an Opportunity Zone, this was created out of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. This was something that's really a program meant to pull capital off the sidelines, capital that is caught up in highly appreciated assets and find its way into neighborhoods that need it most. And so it was a, this program has actually been, I mean, in one form or another, it was trying to be passed by Congress. If you go back to even the early Obama days, But essentially, there are 8,700 program or QZ areas around the country. And these are census tracts, generally low to moderate income. And the program, what it really entails is that that you are a high net worth investor and you have a capital gain right? that you realize either either through the sale of real estate or a stock or a piece of art. It doesn't matter where that capital gain is. If you're going to show it on your taxes, that's a capital gain. And the program allows you to invest that capital gain and get three very distinct benefits. And the first is a deferral of paying those taxes. So, if this year you had a capital gain that you owed and it was a five hundred thousand dollar, and you invested it in the qualified opportunity zone fund like Origins you wouldn't have to pay it this year. You wouldn't have to pay it until 2027 because it would be recognized in 2026. So that's like an interest-free loan from the government. You get it for six, seven years before you have to pay that gain. So that's the first benefit. The second one is there is actually a reduction or what they call a step-up in the basis. So that half million dollars, when you recognize it in 2026, you will only recognize as long as you invest this year, $450,000. So this is a a 10% step-up basis. That's actually going away next year. So if you invest next year, you will, you know, if you invest $500,000, you will be paying based on $500,000 in tax year, 2026. And then the last one, which is the best one, it's really what makes this program so incredibly powerful. If you're in the fund for 10 years in a day, you pay zero capital gains whatsoever. So you still get the benefit of depreciation. But if that $500,000 grows to a million, a million and a half, 2 million, doesn't matter, it can grow to $20 million. And you take that money out at the end of 10 years, and one day you will pay zero capital gains on that money, which is a pretty powerful part of the program. And it certainly helped to get a lot of money into this space. And the biggest reason is, you know, when you, when you go back to the actual... Legislation that was passed there, it's a job creation program, and they're trying to get money into neighborhoods that need it most to create these jobs to revitalize communities, and it's working. So a lot of money has come off the sidelines. There are tremendous amount of QOZ um, zone funds out there. And I think we're, you know, Origins Fund is probably in top five in terms of fundraising. It's too early to measure our returns. But I can only tell you that, you know, historically, we've always been in the top decile, top quartile when it comes to um, generating returns for our investors.
3: How are opportunity zones determined? You kind of touched on their lower income, but I do think there's areas, if you really look closely at the map, that are lower than others and some are maybe even more affluent areas. How are they really determined?
2: Yeah, good question. So they're really determined by the census tract. So this comes out of a program called the New Market Housing Tax Credit. And those lines are generally the same. However, you're writing pointing out that you look at some of these and you scratch your head and you're like, how can that possibly be an opportunity zone? And there's two reasons for that. Number one, the opportunity zone maps are based off the 2010 census tracts. And we all know how much cities have changed. In the last 10 years, Chicago being one of them, we're actually, that was 11 years ago. The new census has been drawn. We're actually waiting for legislation to come out that, you know, is going to kind of revamp that and use the 2020 census. So, you know, it creates an opportunity for a fund like ours because we kind of fish along the edges. We're looking for areas that, you know, we don't want to be the pioneer, the first person in an area. But a lot of these neighborhoods, especially when you're looking in Charlotte and Phoenix and Austin that have experienced hyper growth, those markets look vastly different today. Than they did ten years ago, so that's a huge part of it. And I'm losing my train of thought on, on the second part of it. Your question was,
3: yeah, how they're determined opportunities. Oh, yeah.
2: So the other part of the question was this, that the governor in every state has discretion on you know where these opportunity zones are, so they can actually you know if they want an area, you know, let's just say they have an area that they really want to revitalize, then they can kind of stretch the boundaries. So every governor in every state, because this is a federal program and not every state recognizes the program, meaning that you don't get the tax state benefit as well. California doesn't, Illinois does. But in that case, yeah, the governors um, actually redrew the lines to areas that they wanted to see redeveloped.
3: Okay, got it. So 1031 exchange versus opportunities on investing, you know, how do you maximize an investor's tax advantages?
2: Yeah. So there's differences. I mean, they're both great tax programs. You know, if you are a 1031, if you have a 1031 exchange gain and you're looking for another property, the advantage, you know, with that is that you're going to invest in that property, you're going to own that single property. The disadvantage is, you know, you're going to, you're not going to be diversified. And sometimes people go, you know, use the 1031 exchange and they go into DSTs and they go into funds and you can do that. Those, you know, happen to be, in in most cases, very high fees, those products themselves. So I would say for 1031 exchange buyers, if you can't find an exchange or a place to put it, sometimes it's better just to, you know, realize the gain, invest in an opportunity zone fund. It's actually the second best place to put your money. But for people who just have ordinary capital gains from investing through LLCs, through personal gains, things like that. This is by far the best program that you can use to defer taxes. And you know, when we run the math and you look at this on a pre-tax and post-tax basis, the amount that you'll earn on a, on a post-tax basis after you run all the numbers, right, is about 75% more in a qualified opportunity zone fund. So both programs are great. We obviously can't take in 1031 exchange money and give them the 1031 exchange benefits, And I'll say the last advantage of a QOZ fund in a 1031 exchange, you actually have to invest the principal and the gain in a QOZ fund. You only have to invest the gain. And so for a lot of people, that gives them the opportunity to take money off the table to actually diversify their risk. So they're both, you know, two really good tools when you're talking about real estate and we use both in our you know we use the 1031 exchange for some of our longer dated funds and we also use the qualified opportunity zone fund because taxes matter especially in a world where taxes are are likely to go up
3: okay so what are some of the common misconceptions about investing in opportunity zones the misconceptions they're largely
2: disappearing. I would say, you know, in in 2018, a lot of people were very skeptical about the program and the regs weren't finalized yet either. So there were a lot of people on the sidelines waiting to hear about the program. The biggest one was that investing in qualified opportunity zones is that you're investing in blighted neighborhoods. And and that's just not true. We got into this because when we started to do the research in, I would say early 2018, where we, we didn't even understand the acronym QOZ, you know, It was only through our team going out there and sort of doing research. And and we said to them, I said, look, here's the the zones in your area, you know, are these areas that we want to be investing in? And what happened is it actually turned out that we were already investing in these areas in fund three. So we were buying properties, but we weren't getting the tax benefits and we started scratching our heads and realizing like, look, some of that skepticism was real, but some of it just wasn't justified because if you look at the qualified opportunity zones, probably about five to ten percent of them are extremely viable for investments in places that you want to go to anyway, because generally what we 're looking are on the fringes on in neighborhoods in transition where the hip and cool neighborhoods are coming up, and a lot of times from a demographic perspective, those fall into the qualified opportunity zone category so i 'd say the other objection this isn 't really skepticism it 's just you know some people. They don't want to invest for 10 years, and that's a very long date. You know, to think about, you know, for me, I'm going to be 60 years old, you know, when it comes to that date. So that's also what keeps people kind of on the sidelines. We have some investors, you know, one of them who's so funny, he said, look, I'm not even buying, you know, green bananas these days. So, you know, for some people, it's just that 10 years in a day, they can't stomach that whole period. But for us, you know, for me, I'll say as managers, my partner and I have almost 10 million. No, we actually have more than 10 million dollars invested in this fund. Yes, that's a long period of time. But I love the fact that this is a long-dated fund because when you look at real estate over long, long hold periods, you're going to make money. Never in the history of multifamily over any 10-year period has it lost money. And so we're going to see recessions. We're going to see downturns. We're going to see that. And as long as you have high-quality real estate in the right neighborhoods, in the right cities, and you're leveraged appropriately, you're going to see a lot of value created over the next 10 years in this asset class.
3: Yep. Absolutely agree. What are some other key considerations when pursuing an opportunity zone investment? Are you talking about from the investor standpoint or from our standpoint? Yeah, I would say from the investor standpoint. You shouldn't approach
2: this any differently than you would. This is what we call the tail wagging, the dog, and you don't want to get so excited that you're going to save all these taxes and then shortcut the due diligence. So it still comes down to the strategy, the manager, the track record, the team, everything that you would evaluate on a typical real estate investment opportunity, because when we're looking at deals, we don't. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to Quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. We don't have a separate Excel sheet for Opportunity Zones and a separate Excel sheet for market rate development. To us, it's all the same because the benefits – happen on the back end. Our job is to make money. And then when we do make investors money, they get the benefit of that tax break. So you have to be careful because I have seen out there some managers really, you know, Paying up for properties, or looking at this as almost a supplement to the capital structure, and you know, adding in the tax benefit to the investor on the back end, and showing that in what looks like an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but really, you know, in all of our marketing materials, you know, we do an exhibit that shows that. But all of our, you know, what I'll say, returns are, are sort of on a cash-on-cash cash IRR basis that we're we're showing in this fund. So just evaluate. It on the exact same criteria as you would anything else and then enjoy the benefit of the tax perk when you sell.
3: Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's where people get in trouble with the 1031 exchange, right? Is they just buy another property to shelter the tax. And then sometimes with the time limits, you can really hurt yourself by buying in the wrong area and buying the wrong property.
2: Yeah, yeah, that is the tail wagging the dog. Unfortunately, my mother did that many, many years ago. And you know she was so eager to save taxes in an environment where
3: capital gains we're only 15% and, you know, it just didn't work out, you know? Absolutely. All right, Lolita's going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Yeah, ready. Shoot.
1: All right, Michael, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without?
2: Ooh, are we talking about a technology tool or just?
1: Technology tool, what you use in your daily routine, your your daily regimen, anything. Huh,
2: today's Zoom. I mean, teams, you know, things like that. So look, my job as CEO, I'm not as much in the numbers anymore. My job is to, you know, hire talent to, you know, make sure that the team is all working in the same direction to uh, be a brand ambassador. So, you know, a lot of what I'm doing right now on Zoom and Teams and staying in touch and communication is part and parcel of what I do and my partner does as well. So, I mean, email, you know, I feel like I'm a slave to it, but that's not a driver. Um, Lily, I wish I had a better answer for you. No, that's
1: perfect. Thanks. Can you tell us a story about maybe one of your biggest mistakes in real estate investing so far? And what's the main takeaway for our listeners?
2: Yeah, you know, I have a lot of battle scars. And really, they were all kind of pre-Origin. And that's what drove me to start Origin with my partner. When I was sort of an individual, just a high net worth LP looking for deals, and trying to invest it always felt like it was two steps forward and one step back and i think i made the mistake of just you know relying on other people's advice and the numbers and not doing my own due diligence and not educating myself enough and, you know on the deal and so you know wound up in some situations that were just not fun you know even litigation in a couple of these and the biggest thing you know that we've done well is just surrounded ourselves with some incredibly talented people so that we don't make those mistakes. And, you know, what we do, real estate is complex from ground up to even buying core stabilized deals to, you know, lending preferred equity on that side. And it takes a team. But tangibly, I would say that one of, God, I've got a few that I can talk about. You know, one of the worst investments was really a deal that I came into with um somebody who I highly respect and they they're smart and they brought me into a deal and I was like yeah that sounds great and and I was just under the impression that they had done the due diligence and it was more of a preferred equity deal and, and it looked like it was too good to be true and it was and you know it was a great piece of property but it it wound up it got caught up in that you know kind of 08 and 09 situation and you know, we all lost money during that period, but you only look back and realize that, you know, there's some money that you're like, yeah, that was just market risk and that was bad luck. And then there's other, you know, maybe trades along the way where you lost money and you're like, man, that just wasn't a good decision. Right. And, and it's really about decision making that matters. You can make a great decision and lose money. And you can make a bad decision and make money, right? But ultimately, you want to make great decisions all the time and more and more and just avoid losing money along the way, or at least, you know, the big hits, because everybody is going to be susceptible to market risk. So if you stay away from the bad decisions and, you know, bad deals out there, over leveraged properties and people taking advantage of your money, then you're going to do well in the long run.
1: What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level?
2: Yeah, my life. Mm-hmm. I need. I need to um, go back to a flip phone. I'll tell you <laughs> I candidly. I feel like a slave to email. I say. <laughs> I feel like chucking it in the lake all the time. You know, we're in a really good spot right now. COVID was a rough year for the company. There, it was touch and go in in terms of, we didn't know where the world was going in April and May. And we thought this was the repeat of another 2008. And we didn't lose anybody during that time period. We didn't let anybody go, but it actually turned out to be a fantastic year for us. We ended up growing our equity under management by around 40% first quarter. This year was already a record year. We're hiring. We have just an amazing group of people. I kid around. I've heard this from other CEOs too. And the talent that we're hiring today is remarkable. And the talent that we've been able to kind of keep over the last 5, 7, 10 years is equally as good. And I would never probably be able to get a job here if I didn't, you know, own half the company. So, you know, that's just kind of where we've been. And it's exciting too, though. The team is really energized about where we're going. Everybody came out of that period of COVID, you know, a little uncertain, but now that we're sort of six months out of it, um, people are really, really excited. So the team is fantastic. And I just look at um, what we've been able to build and it's been a great ride.
1: Great. And finally, Michael, where can people find out more about you?
2: So you can go to our website, origininvestments.com. You can connect directly on our website with anybody from the investor relations team. And you can also, we make it really easy for investors to download our documents, to peruse our track record. Um, Really, you can get anything from our website by just filling out a few forms. We also have 400 pieces of original content on there. We believe highly in um, educating our audience, just making smart investors. We think it's good for the entire industry. So that's also a really great resource for any new investors who are looking to enter the market.
1: Fantastic. Thanks, Michael, for sharing your knowledge and expertise with our listeners today and for being on our show.
0: Thank you for having me. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.